when you've got an organisation of 6,000 problem solvers all working together, there's actually nothing to be afraid of. Welcome to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. If you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming. I lead Ethics and Formation for St Vincent's, and I'm delighted that in this episode I'm welcoming Angela Nolan, who is CEO of St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. Angela, I'm so conscious of how busy your schedule is. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat today. Welcome. Thanks, Dan. Look, it's great to have this opportunity. And whilst I'm busy, uh, it is an important part of my job to communicate with people as often and frequently as I can. So, I, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thanks. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. And we were just reminiscing as we started that less than six months ago, we were standing in the foyer of the hospital singing Christmas carols and the world's changed from then. But it's even quicker the change than that, isn't it? I mean, a lot's changed in the life of the hospital in the last month, the last two months. What's a normal day like for you today when compared to a couple of months ago? Hmm. Well, uh, this is week six for us um, and a normal day now is coping with abnormality Um, and usually, but before COVID-19, my day would be reasonably planned but it, it always had a tendency to change. Um, at any given moment. But with COVID-19 or the planning for COVID-19, every day is very different, very fluid, very dynamic. Um, It's a little bit more structured now than it was maybe three or four weeks ago. Uh, But really in the height of the crisis planning, we were um, needing to be very reactive. So in a strange way, the diary was empty, but there was a lot of activity going on and we were constantly, you know, reacting and responding and very much being in the moment. But our job as leaders is really to create order out of that chaos. Mm. And so within two or three weeks, we we got ourselves organised for how we were going to um, crisis plan uh, and try and be mindful about how we go about that whilst the whole time everything was moving around us. Um, so we, we set up a task force and that had a rhythm for about three or four weeks. We've now moved into a different way of operating that's a little bit more like business as usual um, or using the structures of our our business as usual in order to get the unusual work done. So we're we're a little bit more planned now. We've got a little bit more of a 
kind of structure and constant rhythm whilst needing to be agile the whole time to respond to, you know, whatever might might come from the department in terms of a new guideline or a new policy or a decision. Um, so we're very lucky at St, St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne that we've spent the last three years uh, building our problem-solving capability and our continuous improvement capability and putting in place a daily management system and we've been able to leverage all of that through this crisis planning. Um, so we were able to... Not, we knew very early on what we had to try and do was forecast what the demand would look like using all the epidemiological um, modelling. So we did that very, very early and then we... So we knew where we where we needed to get to in a few weeks' time and we built our plans to get us from, you know, today to a future point as quickly as we can in a way that manages risk really effectively and really efficiently. Um, that whole daily management system and our problem-solving methodology has stood us in really, really good Stead. Mm. And Angela, I've been enjoying, you've um, each week done kind of a what's happened this week in two minutes and the volume of work is just extraordinary in terms of what's been done to prepare for the pandemic and now to revert to something like a business as usual, though mm. modified given our circumstances. And taking the, the uh, our reflections into this moment in time, so when you look at from your position as the CEO at this moment in time, what do you see? Where do I start really, Dan? Um, I suppose what I'm seeing in front of me in terms of how people are reacting and, and responding is uh, an enormous amount of agility and ingenuity. So my people's ability to really quickly adapt to a situation, to anticipate what might be needed um, is extraordinary. They're being very resourceful, very creative, getting things in place um, quickly to manage the the immediate needs and also the future needs and knowing that in between that could be very dynamic and at any moment we have to, um, you know, change course quite quickly. So I'm seeing a lot of um, really amazing capability coming to the fore and we have uh, in a matter of days I suppose transitioned a lot of our services in ways that would otherwise take us months or possibly even years. So for example um, when the social distancing rules came in place uh, literally within days we were able to transition our clinics to online telehealth models we already had some telehealth happening, but the, the pace at which we transitioned um, a lot more of our clinics to telehealth was, you would never have thought it was possible um, in the kind of normal world. And what we've done is we've set all of that up in ways that will be sustainable beyond COVID-19. Wow. Um, and there's a whole range of, things like that, um, services or ways of working that 
have already transformed and will continue to uh, over the next little while. Um, for example, we have set up, um, because we're not doing as much elective surgery and we've got reduced activity, we've been able to clear our ward. We deliberately cleared a whole uh, ward and turned it into a simulation centre. Oh, wow. What we've done is um, worked out how we would change our workflows, the geographical layout of the floor, uh, how we would use team-based care uh, and different, completely different ways of working um, in an environment where we need to reduce the amount of movement on the floor. And that, that ward is being used as a training centre. So all of our staff, our nurses, allied health, our doctors, our SSAs, our cleaners are all spending time on the ward understanding how things are going to work differently, what they need to do differently, how they need to behave differently. Um, in order to, you know, potentially cope with an infectious ward. And I was up on the ward yesterday uh, watching some of the, the training and talking to some of the staff who are so excited about this opportunity for change and were saying to me, this is how we want to work after COVID-19. So people are... Um, really embracing the opportunity to think about how we might do things differently and set things up in ways that, you know, we basically can't go back to the way things have happened before. That's extraordinary, isn't it? And it, it struck me, two conversations I've had so far, one was with um, Associate Professor Mark Bowie and the other was Professor Erwin Lowe and both made this comment um, along the lines of, Mark was reflecting on the extraordinary amount of creativity in the air at the moment and Erwin was reflecting on this uh, sense of the privileged time at which we're living in that we can actually change things and lead for a difference into the future and it strikes me that that's coming out too in what you're hearing from your people. They're not just feeling reactive and under threat, they're actually feeling like, wow, let's embody some changes here that we'd mm. like to see into the future. That's right. I think that in the first couple of weeks as people were digesting what was happening around the world and were getting this uh, impression that that if we didn't do something quickly, that's where we would be. There was a lot of fear. And I think a lot of people were quite paralysed by that fear. And I had a conversation with people about how we need to move from being fearful to being fearless. Mm. And I reminded people about our amazing capability, which I've seen tested time and time again, to quickly respond to a crisis. And once I, I, I was able to um, remove or help remove the, the paralysis and the fear, people were very quickly able to lean on their experience and capability and their creativity. And there are people who said to me they're learning a lot about themselves and what they're capable of, things that they never would have imagined they would have be able to do or achieve because... Um, they've been thrown into this situation and encouraged and empowered to 
you know, embrace the moment and think about doing things differently. And I've said to my team that we have this golden opportunity to transform the way we deliver care and and our services in the next kind of three to five months, this golden opportunity. And it would normally take us to do what we're now on the pathway to doing would normally take us three to five years. We're doing it in three to five months. That's and we can't waste this opportunity. We we have to resist the temptation to going back to the way things were. And I'm really um, encouraged and inspired by people's, um, you know, people stepping up to the mark and really wanting to embrace this opportunity. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? And there's a certain sense in which the St Vincent's DNA has been activated, if I can put it that way, by this moment in time. And Angela, you've been in the St Vincent's family for a while now, and this will become probably the story of all stories for the St Vincent's DNA coming alive. But when you hear those words that frame this podcast, compassion, courage and consolation, is there a specific story that comes to mind for you from your time at St Vincent's? In the, in the last few weeks... Um, I've, t- I've tried to think about, you know, how how do I answer this question in reference to COVID nineteen, and it's hard because everywhere I look, there's a story, and there are so many everyday heroes at St Vincent's doing what they do best, and probably not even realising how awesome their work is. And this week I gave uh, I gave out about forty thank you gifts to staff that have really um, gone above and beyond and done some extraordinary work. Uh, And the most common response from these people when they got their gift was, what's this for? Oh, but I'm just doing my job. And so these stories um, that are unfolding and that I see happening all the time, um, in some ways people don't, don't necessarily see them. Um, and there are so many that I could pick to to talk about right now, but, but maybe one that stands out a little bit that I'll share is about a, a patient who was from China um, and he is a retired man. He came out here at Christmas time um, and whilst to visit his daughter whilst he was here he was diagnosed with cancer, um, but because a China was in lockdown, he couldn't get home for his treatment, and so we treated him here. He had some some surgery, um, and this happened at a time when you might remember it wasn't that long ago when Australia first started to kind of realise what was happening with COVID-19 and there was a lot of um, racism Mm. um, and people were very fearful. But um, my team at the hospital had a very different reaction and response and um, this patient, I'm happy to say, um, had a very successful uncomplicated surgery and is doing quite well. And he recently wrote to us because he was so grateful um and i've actually got his letter in front of me and i'd i'd 
like to read it. Oh, please do, can. please do. Because I think it is um, it encapsulates so much about what you know the, about St Vincent's DNA and how we react and respond um, at at all times, but particularly at this time. Yuchen doesn't speak a word of English. Um, and he wrote his letter in Chinese, and of course I can't read Chinese, but uh, his daughter did translate the, the letter into English, um, and, it, and this is how it reads. To St Vincent's Hospital. My name is Yuchen, and I am a happily retired guy from China. I landed in Melbourne at the end of last year, and this was meant to be a Christmas holiday with my family. Unfortunately, I was diagnosed with colon cancer out of the blue in early February. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm unable to return home for treatment as my hometown was the eye of the storm, Wuhan. Fortunately, I was referred to St Vincent's Hospital Specialist Clinics for treatment. That's when I met my doctors who treated me with great compassion, patience and extreme kindness. With their, their expert knowledge and skills, my cancer has been removed successfully. During my stay in the hospital, I was given meticulous care and rehabilitation activities by the nursing team, nutritionists and pharmacists, which enabled me to recover in good condition and complete the treatment in the surgical stage. I greatly admire and appreciate the excellent medical skills and professional dedication of the team of doctors and nurses in your hospital, which demonstrates the benevolence of the doctors. Not only did I receive good medical assistance, but also helped me build up the courage and confidence to overcome the disease. I will always remember the unforgettable experience of seeing a doctor in your hospital with best wishes. Wow, it's beautiful. So he, yeah, here is a man that, um, you know, was in a, a life-threatening situation here and these special circumstances couldn't get home for care uh, and we were lucky enough, privileged enough to be able to care for him um, at a difficult time, not just in his life but in, you know, the world really. And there are stories like this going on all day, every day. Um, We just need to remind ourselves, I suppose, that that we do have this kind of impact for people. And the the bit I love most about this letter was the bit where he says that our care also helped him to build up the courage and the confidence to overcome the disease. So there was that real compassion in our care and we understood this was more than just, you know, treating a medical disease. Actually, this is about the whole person and how do we heal the whole person. Absolutely. At a a time when he was, you know, feeling... Um, he must have been incredibly frightened on a whole range of different levels, being in a country where he doesn't even speak the language and stuck here, not able to get home, must have been quite frightening for him. 
Yeah, and uh, it's amazing too to hear the feedback afterwards, isn't it? Because we get this small chapter in a person's life when they're very vulnerable and our staff are caring for them as a whole person so beautifully and then, then they leave. But to hear back from them afterwards is just uh, extraordinarily beautiful for our staff to be able to, to hear that. Um, and Angela, thinking uh, along the lines of that, the next chapter what kinds of things do you think our people might expect into the future, especially those on the front line, but also those in the rest of the hospital uh, in these coming months and how might they respond? Mm. It's That's a really good question. I think um, we've already seen such a range of different um, responses and such an amazing stepping up to the challenge and I think we'll continue to see more of that um, from staff as more people, you know, feel a sense of getting some control back, less fear, um, and feel empowered to be part of the changes that we're making to how we work and, you know, the services we're providing. And um, it's interesting the way you framed that, question, Dan, is what kind of changes do you think our people might experience? I think um, a lot of our people are actually creating that change rather than kind of having it thrust upon them. They've really taken control of the situation and they are creating the change that, that they want to see happen. Now, I've got no doubt over the coming months there will be, um, you know, changes in our environment that are outside of our control that we then need to respond and react to and, you know, try and um, make work for us. And but, but I think what I've seen to date is people's ability to, you know, not be afraid of the changes that they can't control and actually embrace them and turn it into something that works for them. Mm. I think that we need to be um, kind of have a heightened level of awareness that thing that the situation is very dynamic and it could change at any moment and we need to not be um, surprised by that and accept that, you know, there's a level of uncertainty here and we but we know how to change course really, really quickly. So coming to grips, you know, learning to feel comfortable with the discomfort of uncertainty is, is really important um, and then embracing the opportunity. I think right at the moment there, um, you know, we're in this part of the the journey I suppose where things are a bit quiet so we're not doing as much elective surgery but we're not seeing the COVID patients and I know that people are feeling a little bit bored or useless or a bit frustrated with the waiting but I think this is a phase and it, and it won't last um, the whole journey but recognising that that is just a phase and accepting that uh, helps to deal with some of the, you know, our different personal emotional reactions uh, as things change. 
I think that we can all see now, you know, we had six weeks of very frenetic kind of planning that we've really been doing in, in crisis mode and now it's gone a bit quiet and some of us are wondering, oh, is all that hard work for nothing? Um, let's hope in some ways that it is for nothing. But actually we are learning so much through this process about ourselves, about um, our patients, about our health service, about different ways of doing things that it won't ever be wasted. Mm. Um, we, we are really creating new pathways now, whether we realise it or not. Um, some of it's very overt and deliberate, deliberate and other things that are unfolding we won't realise till, you know, months down the track when we when we look back. And I think just accepting that it is this dynamic situation and you just have to sit and be in the moment and take what you can from that moment without judging yourself or other people is important, um, you know, for, for your own mental health and well-being. And if you can stand back a little bit, from everything, um, the ability to reflect on what's happening without judgment will stand us all in good stead down the track, I think. Mm. And, and it's also that, that theme that came up earlier in your reflections, Angela, about um, moving from a reactiveness and, and almost seeing the permission to be creative and to lead in this space. Because while some things are foisted onto us, other things we have the capacity to, to lead. I mean, we are at the front line, aren't we? And so the people at the yeah. front line choose the direction. And it strikes me that that's come through really, really strongly in, in our discussion today. Angela, you're holding an enormous amount at the moment. Um, so that I'm, I'm sure the weight on your shoulders has been very heavy these last six weeks. What consoles you as you continue to lead in this context and what gives you the courage to keep on keeping on? It's a good question, Dan. I actually don't feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders and the reason is because I know that I have this amazing team and I'm not just talking about my executive team, I'm talking about you know the 6,000 people that, that are part of St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne, I know that um, everybody's playing their part and everybody's um, carrying the, the responsibility. And so, you know, the weight of the world's not so heavy when everybody's in there and we're carrying it together. And, but personally, I'm genuinely inspired by my people and the way in which they rise to the challenge every single time, whatever that challenge might be. And I think the last three years of investment in our capability to problem solve and our culture of openness and supporting one another through that problem solving is really paying off in spades right now. And so I actually feel very, very confident that we know what to do at any given moment, whatever problem might come our way, and that we can, and in fact we have, changed course very, very quickly a number of times in the last six weeks. And so when you've got an organisation of 6,000 problem solvers 
all working together, there's actually nothing to be afraid of. and i think that we're a fearless organisation and that is what for me as the leader it actually um i don't feel this great burden that people some people assume i might feel because i'm just one person in amongst 6000 people who together know how to solve this problem and everybody's doing their bit Fantastic. And Angela, uh, you lead the largest of our St Vincent's facilities, uh, St Vincent's Public Hospital down in Melbourne, but we have people from all over the St Vincent's network and others in the community listening to the podcast. What would you say to everyone in that community at this time? The first thing I'd like to say is thank you. Um, I say thank you a lot. Um because I think that gratitude is just so important. On, on normal days it's important, but in times of crisis, um, showing gratitude, it's part of compassion and it's um, part of bringing people together. And, and so it is really important that I thank everybody and, and people accept that gratitude too, you know, not, not be thinking, well, I'm just doing my job. Um, actually, the job is really, really important. The work that we do at St Vincent's is so critically important for humanity always, but especially at this time. And I really want people to be proud of what they do and to be very conscious that what they do and how they do it uh, is so incredibly important um, and so highly valued by patients, their families, um, co colleagues, our community, uh, and really at the higher order, it, it is valued by humanity. And the work we do is really hard work and sometimes people don't get thanked for, for what they do. Sometimes our patients are so unwell physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually broken, that uh, they don't understand the great care and the love that, that they're getting. But um, it doesn't mean to say that it's not important. And everywhere I look in our organisation, I see angels and I want people to know um, that they really are appreciated quite deeply and quite genuinely and to and to be proud of that and, and proud of the work that they do that's wonderful angela nolan thank you so much for your time today you're very welcome dan thank you you've been listening to compassion courage consolation voices for st vincent's during covid19 this podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin McLeod. His track, Bittersweet, let us in, and you can hear his track, Touching Moments, one now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io. 
and the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening.